Back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throw it high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? It is Thursday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, week five is officially here, the Bears and Bucks tonight, and that means we are previewing yet another Dolphins football game. I don't know about you guys, but my mood always starts to improve on Thursdays in the fall during football season. You just cannot beat it. We'll break down Sunday's matchup in Santa Clara. We're going to hear from Coach Flores and a few Dolphins players and get you the latest injury report here from Davey. All of that and more on this Thursday, October the 8th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And support for Drive Time comes from AutoNation. There are so many reasons to drive pink, but for AutoNation, there's only one. To finish the fight against cancer. In fact, AutoNation has helped raise over $25 million to drive out cancer. To join the fight, visit the AutoNation store near you or drivepink.com. We have a new list of injury report updates here on this Thursday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. But first... As we talked about on the show yesterday, the 49ers and all West Coast teams don't put their injury reports out until later in the evening. And so with the podcast publishing before drive time here on the Miami Dolphins podcast network, we want to go back the previous day and update you on what the 49ers listed on Wednesday. They have 11 players on their injury report for Wednesday. Limited participants are Jimmy Garoppolo, Dre Greenlaw, Raheem Mostert, Akilah Weatherspoon, and wide receivers Trent Taylor and Dante Pettis. Players who did not practice are Ezekiel Ansah, Jimmy Ward, Kawan Williams, Dante Johnson, and Emmanuel Mosley. And Shanahan did start off his Wednesday presser by saying that both Ezekiel Ansah and Kawan Williams, one of the Niners' top corners, and their defensive end who replaced both Nick Bosa and D. Ford outside, who are both on injured reserve, he added that both Ansah and Williams will go to the injured reserve along with Solomon Thomas and Nick Bosa and D Ford. This this team, it's amazing they're still two and two because they've been so banged up and they're playing so well despite the fact that they're going deep into the lineup. We'll cover more of that later on the podcast. Also on the Dolphins Thursday injury report. We had one new addition. Malcolm Perry has an illness, and he did not practice on Thursday after not being listed on Wednesday. Both Durham Smythe and Austin Jackson did not practice again for the second straight day. The three players that practiced in full on Wednesday were out there again full on Thursday. Clayton Fedulum, Kayvon Frazier, and Xavier Howard. And then we have some upgrades. Byron Jones and Solomon Kinley went from limited practice participants as well as Devontae Parker. They were all full on Thursday. And then Shaq Lawson, who did not practice on Wednesday, was out there for a limited capacity on Thursday. So some good trending there on the Dolphins injury front. Great to see Shaq Lawson back out there and really good to see Byron Jones practicing in a full capacity after missing two games for the Dolphins. And so now that we are all caught up there on the injuries, let's go ahead and spin this thing forward to Brian Flores' Thursday morning media availability. And we start here with a reference to a player who made a few big plays in the game on Sunday and has been one of the more durable, reliable, dependable receivers on this offense, as Coach Flores will say here in Isaiah Ford. He also goes on to talk about tight end Durham Smythe in this soundbite. Oh, well, Isaiah, he's like you said, he's smart. Um, he knows multiple positions. Um, he's, where he's, where he's where he's supposed to be, really, you know, the majority of the time. He's, he's dependable. He's accountable. Um and he's gotten open and made some plays in some critical situations. 
Um, so, I mean, I think he's earned earned playing time for sure. Um, and I think that would be the kind of the key term. He's earned the playing time. Um, we're not giving it to anybody. Um, as far as Durham, uh, again, you saw him on the injury report yesterday. Um, look, he's working hard to get back. Uh, he's already made you know a significant amount of improvement over these last three to three four days. So um, we'll just you know take it day by day. Uh, I don't want to put a timetable on it, but um, you know he's he's definitely working to get back. I mean, this could be um, you know hopefully as soon as possible. Up next, we'll go to the other side of the football and talk about Dolphins defender Eric Rowe who plays multiple positions he was coach was asked to defend the role or the position that he plays but again he's just a player on defense that has multiple roles I mean I think it depends on the call all right if I call this the linebackers got him if I call this the strong safety's got him if I call this um you know maybe a corner's got him and that portion was in reference to who might cover the tight end on a given play here he is back again to Eric Eric Rowe as far as clarifying, you know, what Eric Rowe or he plays multiple positions. He's very versatile. So on one snap, he can play linebacker. And on another snap, he can play strong safety. And on another snap, he can play corner. So, uh, no, I don't call it a rover. But maybe in someone else's defense, they do call it a rover. But I don't, you know, I think on one snap, it's, you know, you're the strong safety. On another snap, you're a backer. And on another snap, I mean, you can call it a rover. Feel free. And coach finishes that right there with a big smile and a laugh. Not going to call Eric Rowe a rover on his defense. He has his own terms and his own terminology for what he calls on that side of the football and in his program. So moving on here on yesterday's podcast, I teased about the release of the Eric Flowers piece coming out on MiamiDolphins.com. We'll have that for you guys. If it's not up already, it'll be up at sometime soon tonight on this Thursday. Here I asked Coach Flores about his performance so far, Eric Flowers' performance through the first four games and his leadership for that young offensive line up front. Hey, Coach, we ask you a lot about the rookie offensive linemen, and there's been some big strides made you know, from this point last year as far as sacks allowed and pass protection. I wanted to ask you because back in training camp, we would see Eric Flowers come out with his bands and his harnesses and, and work with the young guys after practice. Just want to ask you, in your estimation, what has Eric Flowers meant both from a production standpoint and a leadership standpoint, getting those young guys brought along? I mean, I think he's played well, um, you know, through the first four games of the season. Um, he's brought leadership since really uh, he's been here. Um, he loves to play. Um, you know, I notice his energy on the field really every week. Um, you guys probably don't see that, but you know, if there's a big catch or there's a big run, uh, he's really the first guy down there celebrating with his teammates. And I think, you know, that, that energy is infectious and uh, it's something I've highlighted, um, in team meetings you know, already. So, um, you know, I'm, I expect him to continue, uh, playing the way he's playing, uh, giving us the leadership that he's given, given us and, um, you know, helping those 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 young offensive linemen uh, get acclimated to playing in, in, the, in the National Football League, and uh, you know, just kind of bringing overall leadership and uh, you know, good play to our team. Oh, coach, I have in fact seen the Eric Flowers celebration, run down, pick guys up, clap his hands. I referred to it on the All Twenty Two podcast earlier in the week on a run where he got hit with a holding call, and I talked about the 
The way that play kind of developed, it looked like Ted Karras kind of blocked the man that was already engaged there with Eric Flowers, and it almost shifted Flowers' hands to the outside of the chest plate there of the player and got the hands in a position where the official might see that and say, that looks like a hold to me. I'm going to go ahead and throw a flag. On that particular play, Flowers, he didn't think he had a holding because he ran downfield and scooped up Miles Gaskin and get a bunch of applause and an excited celebration about the big run they just issued because the run kind of came off his back on that gap on that play. So I love seeing that from Eric Flowers. I've seen that from Solomon Kinley. You heard Coach there confirm that for us regarding Flowers and showing it to the players in meetings as teaching tape. This is how you want to be. This is how you want to act on the field. This is how important it should be to you out there on the football field. Up next, Coach was asked about his team's run defense and where there might be an area that he thinks is most improved so far through the first four weeks of the season. I mean, look, it can always be better. Um, But I think they've... uh, I think there's better communication. I think there's better overall technique. Um, so, again, it's it's been better, but I think it could it could be better than it, it has been. Um, but I mean that the, the the improvement is you know because the players have put more uh, put time into it and worked at it, and there's been some improvement. We got a great 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 challenge in the run game this week against um, you know Kyle's. You know, run offense, good backs, good, you know, good offensive line, uh, tight ends who block, and then just schematically, um, these guys do a good job creating angles and um, putting themselves in good position to, to, to rattle off big runs. I mean, this will be a big, big challenge for us. And that's something the Niners have done plenty of in the past under Shanahan. We're going to talk about that here coming up in the game, uh, game preview, rather. Up next here for Coach Flores. Miles Gaskin went from a player who was largely inactive for most of the year last year, got an increase in workload at the end of the season, but also got injured in that Bengals game and could not finish the season up in New England. But now here he is getting upwards of 40, 45 snaps per game so far through the first four of this 2020 season. Here's Coach Flores on how Gaskin earned that role and earned the right to get so many carries and so many reps as a Dolphins running back. Well, I think you saw a lot of improvement a year ago from – you know, training camp to, you know, being inactive and, you know, let's call it the first half of last season. He, uh, you know, you could just see even when he was inactive, he was in here on his off days and uh, training, you know, he and Patrick Laird were, you know, kind of training on their own. I'd walk into the bubble and they'd be in the coffin, in the corner with bands and, and just kind of just, just trying to, you know, get better. So um, he spent a lot of time with Eric I think Eric's done a great job with him as far as, um, you know, getting the mental mental side of the game down. And then, um, you know, he took this past offseason and really, really trained um, and got his body fit for or, um, you know, an, uh, an NFL season after having been through one. You know, he felt like he had to make some changes and he made them. Um, then he goes comes to training camp and he was, you know, very consistent throughout training camp. So. I would say that's kind of been the, uh, you know, that's the history behind it. Um, all those things happen. I think that that was happening with a lot of different players. And then um, ultimately you get in the game. If you're productive, you get more opportunities, which, I, which has been the case for him. And we'll go ahead and finish up here with Coach on the final question for the Thursday morning press conference about Kyle Shanahan seeing his offense in the past and if he's dusting off his old notes and old defensive playbooks here this week against Shanahan and the 49ers offense. Yeah. You always kind of, you know, go back, you know, 
back in the time and look at some things that you've done in the past. Um, but, you know, Kyle's very innovative. He's always looking for, uh, you know, something new to gain an edge um, offensively. Um, so, again, I, you know, because it's, you know, it's a new, it's, a, it's every year is a new team. We've got different players, so you can't just grab what you did, you know, a few years ago and try to, you know, recreate that. You know, we may not have, um, you have different players, so what happened, what worked against or didn't work, you know, with, you know, in years past, you may want to do something totally different because the skill set's different. Um, and Kyle's the exact same way. He's got different players, so he's going to play to the strengths of, of, of his players. And defensively, you know, we've got to do the exact same thing. So I think, you know, overall, you know, there's some things that are, um, you know, I don't want to call them standard, but um, there's some things that are the core of his offense that he's, you know, probably going to run some form or fashion, how he gets to it. I mean, your guess is as good as mine because it's, you know, it's a lot of, uh, I don't want to call it, you know, there's a lot of shifts. There's a lot of motions. There's a lot of uh, missiles. There's a lot of, let's call it gadgetry to get to a formation. You really don't know that he's getting to the old formation until, you really look at it, um, you know, hopefully on, on, on the tablet, you know, in, within the game. So, look, this is going to be a tough challenge from that standpoint. Um, you know, he's a very good coordinator. and uh, We're going to have to do a good job defensively with our technique, our fundamentals, our communication. Very excited to see that matchup on Sunday, a battle of two very smart minds, one offensively, one defensively there with Kyle Shanahan and Brian Flores. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into the Week 5 Dolphins at 49ers preview up on MiamiDolphins.com. Our first late kickoff of the season on a Sunday. It's going to be a 4.05 kickoff on Sunday, October the 11th. 1-3 Dolphins, 2-2 two two 49ers at Levi Stadium. Temperature calls for 74 degrees. Partly cloudy, 16-mile-an-hour winds there on the Thursday weather report in Santa Clara. And in these introduction parts of the pieces up on MiamiDolphins.com, I always like to take a look at some of the similarities of the two teams and, and the programs in the past and kind of where they are in their particular I guess, portion of the way they build their program. We know by now, Brian Flores in year two. Kyle Shanahan is coming into 17, 18, 19, 20. This is his fourth season here with the Niners. The first two, they won six games and they won five games. And then they won 13 games and went to the Super Bowl. And I talk about in the article about how success ultimately, of course, is judged on the scoreboard and in the win column. But I always love the phrase process over results because process is usually the best way to determine future outcomes. And I always thought that for Shanahan and John Lynch there in San Francisco, they had a pretty clear vision for what they wanted to build with the innovation and patience you heard there of Brian Flores talking about him being one of the most innovative play callers and always trying to find a way to get into those old formations but dressing it up in a way that you don't know about it until either the play is going or after the fact on the tablet, on the sidelines, one of the best elements of his offense. And I remember watching the divisional round playoff game last year. One of my best friends is a Vikings fan. He was really jazzed up for that Niners and Vikings game last year, which wound up being a pretty a pretty not great event for the two of us watching that game on Saturday because the Vikings got ran roughshod over and he was not thrilled. But in that game, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, they kept talking over and over again about how much 
eye candy there is for the defense to look at with all that motion and shifting so many jet sweep motions across the formation which of course can get a linebacker to take one false step and then if you displace that linebacker by a half step that can then create a passing lane in the middle you can hand the ball off or misdirection and get them out leveraged and out angled as coach Flores talked about in the running game too so you have to really be like he says, your rules, your fundamentals, and on your keys defensively to not take a false step and get yourself in a position where you get walled off by an offensive lineman or you create a passing window that way. But back to the topic at hand here, the 49ers did start off that first season under Shanahan and Lynch 0-9, but since then, they acquired Jimmy Garoppolo and they were 24-7 and in his starts. They've won a division title, they've had a 13-win season, and they went to a Super Bowl with a double-digit lead on Patrick Mahomes and that explosive Chiefs offense. Obviously, the end the way they wanted it to but it tells you about where they are in terms of that program in year number four here with Kyle Shanahan to go into a Super Bowl and have a commanding lead in that game and a chance to possibly put a Lombardi in your trophy case but the patience the belief in the plan I love the way they built that team because they knew what Shanahan wants to do wants to be a heavy run team that works off that run action they went out and signed a fullback to a big contract the biggest fullback contract in the NFL and he plays plenty they they loaded up the running back position and got themselves plenty of guys that can filter through that outside zone scheme and really not miss a beat when you go to the next guy and just continuously have fresh legs whether it was Raheem Mostert whether it's our own Matt Breida whether it was Tevin Coleman they just had bodies and guys that could get the job done in that running game so replaceable that way and we're kind of seeing that this year so far with the injuries and the way they've been able to replace those players and get production and win two games in blowout fashion when they're down I mean they were down games without Nick Bosa without D4 without George Kittle without Jimmy Garoppolo you know some of their biggest names on that roster and they're out there winning games 36 to 9 like it's it's wild that they were able to accomplish that on Sunday they'll welcome in us the Miami Dolphins obviously a young team who's on a mission of our own to make these daily strides in year number two first and second year players the roster is made up of of plenty of those guys trying to get that daily improvement and getting these guys brought along throughout the course of the season and developing players throughout the course of the season we know by now the early season schedule here for your Miami Dolphins has been difficult no one's going to bat an eye at that 11 and 5 record for the opponents so far for the Dolphins through the first three games through the first four games rather of the season with a point differential of just minus three and again going back to the Niners in their year two under Kyle Shanahan they started off that season one and three with a negative 18 point differential and they played three playoff teams in that stretch as well so kind of some similarities there and for the Dolphins it's all about closing games in the fourth quarter this team has been close they've had a lead or been within one score of the opponent in the fourth quarter in all four contests so far and again the Niners are five despite a mounting injured reserve list and a handful of players on this week's report. Again, you can refer to that injury report up on MiamiDolphins.com on top news on our Morning Blitz article. We'll have that update for you guys as soon as it becomes available. We've also talked about which quarterback might play in the game. Shanahan's kept that to himself, obviously, as they try to evaluate. He did say on Wednesday that it will be Garoppolo if he's healthy. If it's not, then he's not going to tell us who it is between Mullins and C.J. Beathard. But all these guys have experience between Mullins and Beathard. Both guys have 10 career starts under them. We saw both of them play on Sunday night a little bit. Mullen struggled in that game on Sunday against the Eagles. Beathard came in with a you know, two-score deficit late in the fourth quarter and was able to move the football down the field. So you can see both those guys have had production in this league in the past. And the Dolphins coaches and players have talked about preparing for all three of those quarterbacks to be ready in case someone does get on the field that maybe you wouldn't prepare for. Otherwise, you have to be prepared for all three quarterbacks. And really the basis of this team, you heard Coach Flores talk about it, is built upon bullying teams up front. 
Robert Salah's defense. We talked about Chris Kusarek on yesterday's podcast, the one-gap penetrating upfield style of defense they like to play on the offensive side, that outside zone scheme, that stretch zone scheme that gets the running backs out on the edge. Last year, they had the second-ranked rushing offense, and they returned three of the five top snap takers and replaced one future Hall of Famer, in my opinion, in Joe Staley with another guy who probably goes to Canton and Trent Williams, and that front pairs with a list of speedy and shifty backs that are and arguably the best tight end in the NFL. And, and for me, he is the best tight end in the NFL because he can – I think I tweeted out earlier this summer that George Kittle is perhaps the most influential player in the league because – the way he can shift the offensive formation or the way the offense wants to approach things with being a dynamic passing threat or being a guy who can line up in line and wipe out the edge in the running game and keep your, your personnel versatile because he can play tight end in line. He can flex out and move that F tight end position. He can play in the backfield as an H back or a fullback. He just does so much for your offense in both phases of offense. He is very difficult to defend that way. And that just pairs well with an offensive line that can really get out there and bully teams up front. On the other side of the football, it's the same, again, despite the fact that they're going to be down Nick Bosa, D. Ford, Zeke Ansah. But Eric, Eric Armstead is out there, and he leads the defense with 18 quarterback pressures this year, has one and a half sacks on the season. And Dolphins veteran offensive lineman Jesse Davis talked about him, saying he's got long movements, long arms, looks like a strong player, something he has seen before, but he's never gone against this guy. He just said their whole front looks pretty solid. And on that topic, the matchup highlights, again, we talked about the outside running. Tackling on the edge is the first one I put on here because the 49ers, not, they don't just have running backs and get on the edge, a tight end who can block and seal the edge. They went after two receivers these past two drafts, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, two guys that are very, very good with the football in their hands running after the catch. We all saw Brandon Ayuk's touchdown run on Sunday night against the Eagles where he went high over a defender and made a bunch of people miss on, en route to a touchdown scoring play. Both are explosive, and they will find ways to get the ball in their hands, whether it's on jet sweep rushing attempts, handoffs, reverses, ends around, screen passes, slip screens, bubble screens. They're going to find a way to get the ball out in the edge and test the way you tackle on the outside. And it's, again, not just the way the receivers or backs do it. It's the whole picture put together. No team last year was better than running the football on the edges. They had 60 runs off either end, left or right, for 363 yards, three touchdowns, and 17 first downs on those particular runs. And they also picked up 255 yards after contact on such runs. So it's important to get that tackling on the outside done. And all those stats were tops for San Francisco among potential gaps, whether it was ends, tackles, guards, over the center, Outside runs were their most effective through the course of last season, and the same is true this year as well. And the Dolphins' perimeter cornerbacks are equipped to handle that challenge. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, and Noah Iguanagani are strong, sure tacklers. They have a combined 22 tackles compared to just four missed attempts on the season, that per pro football focus. So that matchup really bears watching. Who can get the wrestling match on the outside one, so to speak, the Dolphins' defensive backs or the 49ers' ball carriers on the outside? The other matchup to watch here for me was Dolphins pass rush versus the 49ers front. And that's mostly because we just don't know who the quarterback is going to be. But no matter who it is, that's always a good recipe. Heat up the quarterback with pressure. Garoppolo with a limited participation on Wednesday's practice with the ankle injury. Obviously, you want to test that ankle and see if he can move off of his spot accordingly. Nick Mullins on Sunday night had a passer rating of 41.5 when there was pressure against the Eagles. And C.J. Beathard in the same game had a passer rating of 71.9 with rushers closing in. So 
Obviously, that's the key to most games in the NFL, put pressure on the quarterback, but I think it's especially true in this game. And you look at the edge pressure here from the Miami Dolphins. We saw both Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba get sacks of Russell Wilson on Sunday, and the 49ers have surrendered 13 sacks so far through four games. That's sixth most in the NFL. And Trent Williams is at left tackle this year. He started all four games at left tackle despite missing all of last season, but he's played well, been credited with only six pressures allowed so far for through pro football focus, whereas Mike McGlinchey, the former Notre Dame product on the right side, will see more of Emmanuel Ogba. He has 10 pressures allowed so far through the first four games. And the last point here is communicating that motion. We talked about it throughout the course of the week, throughout the course of this podcast, that no team utilizes motion more than the San Francisco 49ers. Pre-snap shifting or motion on 75.7% of their snaps, almost a full yard per play better when they do motion compared to when they don't motion. And the ability to create leverage in the running game and passing lanes with that window dressing. You heard Flores talk about it. You're going to get back to maybe a standard formation, and he was hesitant to use that term, standard. But at the end of the day, they're going to find ways to dress things up and and keep it keep the look fresh and keep it innovative and keep you off balance up until you can make adjustments in the game. So that chess match between Flores and Kyle Shanahan will be fun to watch. And they have the two capable receivers in that jet motion with the heavy use of two back sets. It just gives the defense so much to look at. Do you key the pulling guard? Do you key the pulling fullback? Do you key the tight end coming across the formation trying to get that kickout block off the edge? We talked to Jerome Baker about how you handle that on the podcast yesterday. And to reiterate what he said, it just depends on where you're at in the call. It's trusting your defense defense. It might be your job to leverage the motion. The motion might not affect you at all. Just understanding what your role is and then throughout the week, you really want to go through film and make the calls and adjustments and just get used to constantly seeing it. So on Sundays, it's a lot easier. And Eric Rowe also talked about it saying that we just all have to be on the same page on motion, shift, kind of whatever they do. So when I talk about breakdowns in communication, if the offense, they did some sort of motion and then whatever call that we have to get out, we have to get it out clean, faster, and crisp so we can execute our plays. Some of the 49ers scheme on offense, we keep talking about this, two back sets, No team in the NFL uses more 21 personnel, two running backs, one tight end, two receivers, than Shanahan's 49ers. The offense also uses 22 and 23 personnel, and those three different two-back packages, they have 122 snaps out of those packages out of 263 offensive snaps. So 46.4% of the time, the Niners are in two-back sets, and that's because no fullback in the NFL has logged more snaps this year than Kyle Juszczyk's 125 snaps on offense. And again, back to the injuries on both sides of the ball. No 49ers receiver has played more snaps than Kendrick Bourne's 79.1% workload. And all pro George Kittle has been limited to just 48.7% of the offensive snaps due to his injury. But again, he was back out there on Sunday night against the Eagles in emphatic fashion. 15 targets caught every single one of them for 183 yards and a touchdown. And last year, 2019, he was PFF's number one ranked receiving tight end and the number five ranked run blocking tight end in all of the National Football League. And frankly, I think that last number could be higher up to number one because this guy, again, to me, is the best tight end in the National Football League. And the Niners also rank 11th in total offense as well as scoring offense, 390 yards per game, 26.8 points per game. They're third in both total and scoring defense as well, 294 yards against them per game and 17.8 points 
allowed by the Niners defense. They have the 12th ranked passing offense and the 11th ranked rushing offense. The defense is allowing just 159.3 yards per game through the air. That's second best in the National Football League, while the rush defense is 15th at 110.8 yards per game allowed. They dial up extra rushers at the ninth highest rate in the NFL, so they will blitz you 35.2% blitz rate. That's 1.8% higher than your Miami Dolphins, who are the 10th most frequent blitzing team in the National Football League. And the result is the Niners have the third highest pressure rate at 30.3%, but they rank 18th in the league with sat in sacks with eight. So again, kind of this philosophy about putting pressure on the quarterback, affecting the passing game more so than just trying to rack up the sack total, which they were very high in that category as well last year. So this Niners defense can get pressure on your quarterback. And only four teams call more four defensive back packages than the San Francisco 49ers. They run that 36.3% of the time, but the rest of the calls come primarily from nickel, where the Niners play their most frequent defense at 62.9%. That's 17th most in the NFL. So they run a lot of four DB packages, which means you will have a true front seven, four defensive back seven guys up front that's you know 36.3 percent it's not your base package obviously nickel is at 62.9 percent but they do run that four defensive back package more than most teams more than all but 28 teams to be truthful some final notes here the Niners have that rash of injuries but two and two record with a pair of runaway victories just a testament to Shanahan's next man up mentality there they will be without Nick Bosa last year's rookie of the year and also potentially without Raheem Mostert we'll see about him this week in practice he was limited on Wednesday's practice he was a leading rusher for them last season and the two sides are very comparable in the turnover takeaway department both have five takeaways that's tied for 14th best in the NFL the Dolphins have five giveaways to the Niners four giveaways both rank in the top half of the league in that stat and the comparison is similar on third down the Dolphins 46.9% conversion rate ranks ninth while San Francisco's 46.8 conversion rate on third down ranks 10th so both these teams do a good job sustaining drives on third down and moving the chains that way Devontae Parker's next 100 yard game will be the 10th of his career he would become the eighth receiver in Dolphins history with double digit 100 yard days he's also coming off a career high in receptions with 10 in the 31-23 loss to the Seattle Seahawks the Dolphins lead the all-time series 7-5 over San Francisco and the lone playoff meeting was that Super Bowl 1984 Dan Marino Joe Montana And the Niners, of course, took that game. We won't talk any more about that. This is the Dolphins' first trip to Levi Stadium, which opened back in 2014. All six of the Dolphins' trips to San Francisco previously were played at Candlestick Park. And we'll talk to Randy McMichael on tomorrow's podcast, who is not a fan. (laughs) He was not a fan of Candlestick Park. The Dolphins were 3-3 at Candlestick in their history. We're going to have this game recapped and coverage for you guys late on Sunday night. Not sure exactly what time that'll be. I had the routine down for the 1 o'clock games, but being a 4.05 game, I'll get that out as soon as I possibly can up on MiamiDolphins.com as well as the Drive Time Podcast here with yours truly, Travis Wingfield. And speaking of Drive Time Podcast, we are supported here by AutoNation, where Dolphins fans can sell their vehicle for cash now. Visit AutoNation.com. Let's go ahead and wrap up this podcast with player media availability, starting first with Dolphins rookie offensive lineman Robert Hunt. And first, he answers a question about the bond between he and the other rookies in this class, Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, and how they've kind of communicated and kept their relationship going so far in this first season, their rookie year in the NFL. Um, it's been exciting, man. Um, you know, I'm very happy for those guys. You know, I'm like, I'm very happy for all the guys. We're, um, I think the O-line's playing well. We have been playing well. Um, you know, so I'm excited for all those guys. Um, we do have a really close relationship, you know, so we text, we talk, all that kind of stuff. You know, we're here together all day and, you know, Things like that, but to see them play and go out and execute, and they've been playing really well, I'm really excited. 
And every time they report number 68 is eligible on the offensive line, you can't help but think, well, he is eligible to go out for a pass pattern. If he did go out for a pass, how good are Robert Hunt's hands? Here it is in his own words. Man, if they was a call up, if they, if they did call up play, I think I'll do well with it. I think I got really, really good hands. You know, I used to call myself a little Randy Moss back in the day, but you know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to put that out there. And then if I end up getting that chance and I drop it, then everybody's like, oh man. So <laughs> I won't say too much about that. Hey, Robert, wanted to stay on that topic of that heavy package of the six offensive linemen there. Um, is that something you've done before in the past in college? And if not, what can you learn from that package and kind of playing that extra man on the offensive line that maybe you previously didn't know before the season? Um, no, this is my first time actually playing the heavy tight end position. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty much the same as like a tackle, you know, in our guards. It's, a, it's the same deal. Um, same schemes. I mean, you know, everything that pretty much ties in together. So um, it's, it's not hard. It wasn't a hard position to learn, just like playing O-line pretty much. Up next, Robert was asked about kind of his story and what it means to play in the National Football League for him. If you don't know about it, I highly recommend going and checking it out wherever you can find Robert Hunt's story, his background. Basically, this is a kid that showed up to a football camp and didn't really have any of their proper equipment and got offered a scholarship there and wound up at Louisiana Lafayette. And the rest is kind of history as he made haste with his professional career. Even more impressive when you consider the fact that as a kid, his family lost not one but two homes due to natural disasters, a fire, a hurricane involved with that. So Robert Hunt has gone, overcome a lot of adversity in his career. Here's what he says it means to him to be able to play in the National Football League. It's a blessing, man. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of people may, have, may not see my story, may have. Um, it's a blessing. I mean, coming from where I'm from, you know, I don't take it lightly. Um, this is something that you know, kids dream of coming for coming coming from where I come from, you know, and to see and to me for me to be in this position for them to see me um, and give them hope. It just means a lot to me. It means a lot to me. Two more here for Robert Hunt. One very much football oriented one, not football at all. We'll start with the football question about some of the main things that coach Steve Marshall along the offensive line drills in his young players and the entire offensive line room. Oh, um, you know, just the basics, man, you know, um, pad level, hands inside, stuff like that, but the whole line ritual, I would say, um, so we all, all pretty much doing the same thing, you know, pads, I mean, hands inside, pad level, you know, play fast, play physical, you know, when we, he tried to preach um, play style, you know, so he wanted us all to play fast, physical, you know, and straighten out to the play a little bit. Hey, Robert, you talked a little bit about where you came from, but I do recall when you first got here, you tweeted out about the wildlife here in South Florida. I'm curious if you've gotten any more acclimated to seeing the lizards and iguanas out there, and have you seen any alligators or anything like that? Um, I don't guess I'm used to, you know, because I was in Louisiana for five years, and plus there's, not, there's, there's some in Burkeville, too, around that area. But, um, you know, it kind of calmed down with the big old um, iguana thing. Like, it was kind of cool. I haven't seen any. I'm used to the little lizards now. I hate little, like, I hate, that's like my biggest fear, the, the little lizards. I, like, I'm really afraid of those. Um, but I, I'm kind of used to them now. I see them, you know, I don't really run from them, I just look at them. But I did see, for the first time, maybe like a month or two, maybe a month and a half, I saw a huge iguana, like the biggest one I've seen yet. You know, I was in a car, so I wasn't afraid, but it, it, it was huge. So we've now got both Robert Hunt and Solomon Kinley on record talking about how they're afraid of these little lizards. It's, I mean, I find it hilarious because I, every time you walk by like a bush or a shrub down here, you'll see lizards hanging out on the sidewalk or on the curb and they see you coming and they sprint back into the bushes. I always like, I always really enjoy that aspect of seeing the lizards out here in South Florida, but let's go ahead and get back to football here and hear from Julian Davenport. 
who first was asked to evaluate the player we just talked to in Robert Hunt. Uh, he's definitely progressed uh, a lot. You know, uh, I've taken, you know, uh, we all have as an offensive line, you know, uh, holding each other accountable and making sure everybody is maximizing their efforts to improve their game. You know, so I, I've always been talking to Rob and all the young guys, Austin Solomon, we all have, you know, making sure, you know, they do the little things to make sure their technique is as good as it can be and, you know, their game is as good as it can be. But, you know, he's uh, been on a steady progress going up and up, and uh, I like the way he's developed. Next, here's Julian on his own progress from where he was this time a year ago compared to where he is now in week five of 2020. Uh, definitely a lot better. Uh, I feel a lot more confident in, you know, my technique, uh, my sets, uh, my pad level, you know, a big emphasis on me. Uh, uh, I work real hard on, you know, the things like that in the off season. And, you know, I'm, I know I'm still not perfect, so I'm just still working to continue to improve on all those little aspects and then some. And a year ago, Matt Breida was on the San Francisco 49ers. Here's the Dolphins running back on playing his former team on Sunday. Uh, it's cool going back, you know, playing against my former team. Uh, I'm not going to treat the weekend different, though. Still like another week. I mean, I talk, I talk to them guys almost every week on a weekly basis because we still close. But, um, no, nah, not about the game or nothing like that. Like I said, I don't think anyone's going to treat it any different. Still a normal week. So that's the relationship with the former 49ers players he has, talking about texting with those guys every week. And in the past, Matt Breida has mentioned the commonality between this Dolphins locker room and early years there in San Francisco with a competitive mindset. I wanted to ask Matt about an update on that status with this Dolphins locker room and how it compares to what he knew in San Francisco. Definitely, I would say very similar in the fact of, you know, um, guys who love to compete. Um, same thing goes back as far as I was talking about how close the team is. Uh, we don't got a lot of Eagles on this team. Um, this reminds me of going in, like I said, going, going into my rookie year, my second year. We had a lot of young guys that are playing right now. And, you know, it's a process. I understand everyone wants us to be winning right now, and we're right there. We've been in every single game that we played in. The fact is we're one and three, so we just got to learn how to finish as a team. And, uh, you know, I think we're on the right track, and we're very close to putting it together pretty soon. And on the topic of familiarity with past teams, Dolphins linebacker Kamu Gruje-Hill played his college ball at the same place as 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. Here he is talking about that conversation relationship today in 2020. You know, a bunch of uh, we got a little group chat back home or back with our boys kind of messing with each other. So we'll see. Hopefully he plays. That'd be fun. Back to a football topic here. Kamu was asked to evaluate the improvements he's seen in the running game the last couple of weeks and his evaluation of how the team is defending the run. Here's the Dolphins linebacker on run defense. I think we, uh, we're just feeling more comfortable with, um, with, you know, just the scheme and the game plan and, uh, and just with each other, more importantly, we're, we're learning how to play off each other. And, you know, D-line linebackers are playing more in sync. Um, you know, there's always room to get better. So we're, we're trying to do that. But I, I definitely think um, every week we're progressing. And so we covered run defense. How about Kamu's work in the passing game and how he prides himself as a coverage linebacker? Um, I think for me, I just really, uh, that's a part of the, the game that I really pride myself on. And, um, you know, especially with my role right now, it's kind of, you know, coverage guy and, and, you know, coverage down. So, um, for me, it's just trying to be out there and, and whoever I'm on, whether it be a tight end or a back or just in zone coverage that, um, I dominate that phase. Hey, Kamu, this Niners offense you're going to see on Sunday is uses more motion pre-snap than any offense in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how, as a linebacker, you kind of evaluate what you see and, and you react to it in real time and, and not take the cheese, as it were. 
I think for us, it's it's just kind of just making the game a little simple, you know, um, knowing that whatever motion thing too is like see what the actual um, formation is after that. You know, they're just they're lining up in one and getting to another formation. But at the end of the day, the snap is going to be uh, similar formations. And, and so, you know, just kind of slowing the game down a little bit. And so there you have it, the Thursday media availability. We will not have it on the podcast tomorrow because we're going to talk to Randy McMichael as well as Seth and Juice from the Fish Tank podcast, flashing this thing back to 2004, the win over the Niners in 04, as well as some of the other events around that season, the Dave Wanstead resigning, Ricky Williams retiring, the A.J. Feely trade, the Lamar Gordon trade. Plenty of good stuff coming up with Randy McMichael. You will not want to miss that podcast tomorrow. We got Canes and Clemson coming up over the weekend. I know it's a big game here for the folks in South Florida. Trying to get my Miami Hurricanes allegiance going a little bit stronger. It's just, it's not naturally taking, but I will say this. I think you might be in for a long night on Saturday night, Hurricanes fans, but I'll be rooting for you guys. Go Hurricanes on Saturday night. And you know, One more thing I wanted to bring up here because I watched a bunch of The Office on Wednesday night because there wasn't any sports on. There were some baseball games, but the Rays and Yankees game wasn't close. And I wanted to make a comment. Does anybody else do this? Do you fast forward through Jim and Pam scenes after they get together? Because I I can't even watch it, man. It makes me queasy. That's that's hard to watch. Like, I don't know. I, I can't do it. I wanted to put that down. I also wanted to say that Ed Helms is super underrated. He's the perfect simp in every movie or show I've ever seen. Also, I'm contemplating watching Parks and Rec because I've as much as I talk about The Office, I, you know, that's not my favorite show, probably not even my top 10. I'm more of a South Park, Silicon Valley, it's always sunny in Philadelphia type of guy. Those are my shows, but I'm curious about starting Parks and Rec because The Office is kind of, I've been through it a few times now, it's a good like fall asleep to that show type of show. Is Parks and Rec in that vein? I I watched some of the clips on YouTube or Twitter or social media, whatever it was, with Chris Pratt, and I find myself laughing most of the time, but I'm just curious. Let me know if Parks and Rec is better than The Office, if it's equal, where it falls in that category. If it's good to, to fall asleep to Parks and Rec at night, you let me know. Anyway, we've gotten off topic on this podcast. As for this podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. We have the preview, the Eric Flower story, top news, the Blitz. Tons of content up there for you guys right now. Until next time, fins up.